Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski, and my special guest, Willow B. You know, obviously, everyone does that cute little baby voice when you have your pets around because they are the cutest little squishies in the world. Um, anyways, hello, everyone. Um, as you, for all the words um for all the visual viewers and listeners out there you all may notice something a little bit different yes the hair is straight um if you know me or if you've been watching this podcast um you know that i have pretty wavy curly hair you also may know that as i've talked about um i think i've talked about it that uh, i haven't gotten a haircut since 2019 um Obviously, it started out with, like, wanting to be safe because of COVID practices and not wanting to be that close to somebody, um, especially indoors. Like, we don't really have an outdoor area where someone could come and do it. Um, it would have to be, like, somewhat public in our apartment courtyard, and, like, that's a little bit weird, especially, like, you know, then after, like, how do they wash my hair and the sink? It's all – didn't want to deal with that. And then it kind of got to the point, too, where I was, like, a little bit lazy about the cost as well because, I mean, it's Los Angeles. Haircuts cost pretty much more than they do anywhere else. Anyways, this is boring. Long story short, I finally caved in after a few, a year and a half, basically, of cutting my own hair and, like, trimming it. Like, I really like to keep it long. I like the length. Um, but I had no idea what I was doing in terms of, like, shape and bulk. And I just, like, got to the point where I, like, hated wearing it down because it was just so heavy. And so whenever I get my hair cut, which I did on Friday, um, they also blow dry it straight. Or she blow dried it straight. I'm going to give a shout out to um, Amy at Concept 67 Salon in Culver City. She did fantastic work. Very safe. It was only her and me in the building. Um, we wore masks the whole time, so I felt good. And the hair, we are on day three of not washing. I've taken a couple body showers, of course. So I just put a hair uh, shower cap on and try to milk this as long as possible without it getting super greasy. So um, we're going to keep it for a few more days. It's just so fun. Like when I have curly hair, it's not as like silky i can't like run my hands through it just like falls like this i mean but i'm also just too lazy to like have to do this anytime when i have to like do it myself so having someone else do it for me um is super nice and part of a haircut so i've been enjoying this and we'll probably try to milk it until like tuesday um i just took a body shower after the cardio this morning did the shower cap and probably can get like a day or two more out of it Anyways, um, we are going to do a fun little quiz to start things off. Um, we are going to do only true book lovers will score 100% on this quiz. What's your book nerd score? Um, yeah, I probably will get 100, but let's, let's see what, what we got. So it's not like a multiple choice. It's just like the check things off if it applies to you. You've told someone, sorry, I already have plans when you wanted to get out of something to go home and read a book by yourself. More times than I can count. You follow bookstagram accounts on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wasn't as good about this until I started the podcast, but there's such a whole avenue of it on Instagram. So definitely, I mean, a little bit before the podcast, but definitely much more since I started I Like to Read. You've moved your favorite book to the must-read display shelf at a bookstore. Um, I can't say I've done this anytime recently. I actually just like went into a physical bookstore, shout out to the Ripped Bodice in Culver City, um, for the first time in ages. And it's a beautiful, lovely bookstore. I bought, um, a nonfiction book about like crystals and essays, um, which I'll get to reading at some point. Um, and I, I want to say when I was younger though, I definitely like did this and like moved books around. So yes, you've recommended a book to a stranger at a bookstore. Again, haven't been in a bookstore for a while, but yes, back when I've, you know, if I saw someone picking something that I liked, it was like, yes, that looks or whatever. You have your library card memorized. Um, I mean, it's saved on my computer and it's automatically set to log in. So yeah, 
You've downloaded an app that's connected to your library, so you can also check out books on your phone. Um, I'm going to cheat and check off. Yes, I haven't technically, like, downloaded the app because sometimes I'm, like, a little bit, like, a Luddite with that, but I do use the LAPL Overdrive system on my phone to be able to get the books, so yes. You like reading books before seeing the movie adaptations. Um, I don't have, like, a huge preference, so I'm not going to check that one off because I don't always care that much about it. You have your bookshelves organized in a particular way. Ah, uh, yes and no. I mean, at this point, I do, we have, like, so many books and so many different things floating around. Um, but I do have, like, a shelf dedicated to the, my, like, to-be-read physical books. So, yeah, I'm going to check that one off. You wish you could bottle the scent of new books. Amen. You've read a good portion of classic literature. Again, yes and no. I mean, as y'all know, I'm, like, very into the contemporary classics. Uh, <laughs> contemporary classics. Just contemporary stuff that might not necessarily be considered a classic, and I haven't read a ton of the classics. Um, I've read, like, the staples and probably a decent amount, um, but I'm not going to confidently say I've read a good portion. In any given year, it's entirely possible that you've read more books than movies watched. Absolutely. You've gone to your fair share of recycled bookstores. Um, not in a very long time, especially as I've stopped really reading and purchasing physical books, but especially when I was younger and just the volume and the price and cost. Like there was one called Annie's Used Bookstop in our um, hometown that I loved. So yes, I'm going to check that one off. You have a Pinterest board filled with dream in home libraries. Um, no, I don't. I don't have a Pinterest, so no. You've Instagram storied about what you're currently reading at least once. Yes. You can't stop from commenting on someone's status if they're reading a book you read before. Yes. You're normally the first person someone goes to for book recommendations. Hi, hello. You're listening to a podcast about them, of course. You bought, you've brought more than one book on vacation before. Yeah. You've cried real ass tears on a page of a very te- tear-jerking book. Yeah. You've been to a midnight release of a book. Um, I think I did this with, like, the Harry Potter and the Twilight stuff when I was younger, for sure. You've written or drawn fan fiction for a book you loved. Um, I've definitely, like, you know, especially, again, when I was younger, like, fantasized and, like, expanded on the universes of these books, but I can't confidently say that I'm, like, a fanfic girl. You've joined a book club. I actually lead one. You've read a book that has actually made you hungry more times than I can count. You've read a book that a celebrity has recommended. Yep. And you've read books by written by celebrities. Yep. You stayed up past midnight reading a good book, even though you had to be up early the next day. Guilty. You've experienced reading a book so good that you don't know what could possibly top it. Yep. You've read a book so terrifying you couldn't read it at night. Uh, no, not really. I mean, I love scary shit, so, like, it doesn't matter what time it is. Uh, you've dressed up as a book character on Halloween. Yes. You've made at least one literary reference in your life. I mean, Yeah. Or a literary pun, yeah. You've accidentally given yourself a paper cut reading. Again, when I do the physical books, yes, sometimes that does happen. You've read a book with over 600 pages. Yeah. You visited a location solely because a scene in a book was set there. Yes. You finished an entire book on a plane. Yep. You've read three books in one day before. Guilty. You've called in sick to work because you just wanted to stay home and read. I mean, yeah, I can confidently say that. You've gone to a book event to meet your favorite author. Yep. You've had to give yourself a book buying budget because you have a problem. Yep. You and a friend have talked about a book's plot for hours in depth before. Yep. And you own more books than pairs of socks. I do have quite a few pairs of socks, but yes. 
So my results, I'm 90% book nerd. Your book nerd score is 90%. I checked 35 out of 40. So I guess I'm not a true book lover, but you know, I'm close enough. Your book nerd score is 90%. You may not do all of these things, but we're willing to bet you have some other bookish habits up your sleeve. Keep on reading, my friend. So just a fun little quiz. I'd be interested to see your results. Let me know how much of a percentage of a nerd, literature nerd are you. We'll link this BuzzFeed quiz down below. Um... And I'd be interested to see if you top my 90% score. So without further ado, let's get into this week's five books. First, we have Every Last Fear by Alex Finlay. Um, this is a debut author. Again, just kind of came into my library books because I had a hold on it. Um, I did recommend it quite a while ago because it had shown up on like maybe like, you know, the year's best thrillers or whatnot. So we um, follow our main character, Matt Pine, and we learn that his entire family um, has, except for his older brother, who's um was just in prison also um has been murdered or what they deem what they initially thought was uh murder suicide sort of like family um accident but then they quickly sort of it's revealed that there's a homicide and darker um intentions behind it so as we're with matt like in the present day and sort of trying to figure out what happened to his family um the individual lives of the family members there's a mother a father um a teenage girl and a young boy we get to know them individually in the past like sort of the events leading up to how um or why they were murdered and all the little pieces that flow together and there's multiple mysteries layered on top of each other um so while it is like very captivating and sort of thriller and whodunit all the characters are really well developed it's also a study into a family portrait and sort of the sadness and loss but also the different personalities and how we can persevere um it's about you know there's multiple tragedies and heartbreaks that matt has had to go through like i mentioned his older brother was in prison and how that has affected the family. Um, he's a really great, you know, young boy. I say young man, you know, he's a freshman in college. So we really get to see his sort of like coming of age. I can't imagine the horror of knowing that you're the basically the only one left in your family besides your other brother. Four of your six family members were killed and you weren't there. And then it's also, you know, not that's horrible. And then trying to figure out what happened to them and who did it and how you know are you safe and but also wanting to figure out what happened um just like a really good thriller family secrets drama that kept me captivated and reading um for you know i i think yeah i, I read this in a day i devoured it it was very good um i'm gonna speed through these a little bit not speed but you know um well you know <laughs> words words because you know it's, i can spend three minutes talking about a haircut but anyways um next we have no one is talking about this by patricia lockwood so patricia lockwood she wrote a memoir called priest daddy which was sort of like hot in uh oh gosh what has it been four years ago five years ago um and so i think this is technically her first like novel um but i've been following her on twitter for a while and she is quite a wonderful prolific author um yeah what is it priest daddy is her other yeah, she's written, like, some other stuff, too, actually, I guess. So this is definitely not her first novel. I'm sorry. Um, but this is, like, a very weird, surreal sort of, like, commentary on modern society, but, like, a little bit sort of, like, Black Mirror-ish. So our main protagonist um, is a young woman who, instead of the internet, there's this thing called, like, the portal, which sort of, like, consumes everyone's life. And it's, like, you don't physically transport there, but it's this, like, 
all immersive interweb source that can help take over your life. Um, so this young woman, um, she finds out that actually something she, – she's sort of like the first half is like this meditation on um, kind of like nosedive from Black Mirror just in sort of like what does a society and what does a person who is so consumed with what everyone else thinks of them because of this like – society made internet based app it's like pretty crazy or you know portal based app but then it also um you know a love letter to the endless scroll as goodreads put it but then the second half something happens with her family that causes her to reevaluate her life and have to like put herself a lot more in like the human perspective and think about what it's like to like be a living being breathing human with real relationships like outside of this larger portal um so it's like a little bit vague but it was very i mean there's definitely a plot there's action you know there's like a first second third act but it's kind of very amorphous and stream of consciousness and how we get to know our main character um but it's also just like really well written it's different it's unique it's pretty easy to read i believe it was about 220 pages so a lighter novel to read and just sort of a meditation on society and what humanity is like or could be like and is like so next we have Love is an Ex-Country by Randa Gerard. So Randa, this is a memoir. Um, Randa Gerard is a very proud uh, queer Muslim Arab, um, I can't speak, queer Muslim Arab American and proudly fat. Um, so she's kind of grappled with her identity. She's written previous pieces, I believe, including um, a novel sort of already dealing with those but that doesn't mean by any by no means necessary does that mean that she's like come to terms with it and like everything is totally fine but she the frame of this uh, memoir is set up as a cross-country road trip um but also sort of she has dealt with a lot of things when she was younger domestic abuse um and domestic violence and the way that her body was constantly shamed and punished by her family um so she sort of explores these different parts of america that she previously like felt that she didn't belong in or that she had like preconceived notions about um and through discovering these new places and traveling and detailing her relationships with them, we get to know more about her and her personal journey as well. Um, she's very honest. She's very open. Again, I think most of the books I'm talking about in this episode are pretty easy and all under about 300 pages. Um, this was also published by Catapult, which is how I found it. Catapult is a wonderful smaller publishing company, um, but small but mighty because everything that they publish is really great. And I took... Um, that's where I took that online class with Rachel Verona Cote. Um, and they have a bunch of other online classes and just like great resources for emerging and accomplished writers and just a ton of stuff to check out there. Um, so she also, um, sh uh, the sort of the enticing incident that sets this off is she made like a tweet about doxing Barbara Bush and sort of like because she is a Muslim American woman, how that was taken into the wrong context and kind of like led to her cancellation. Um, but like how she reshapes that and reclaims that is very fascinating. Um, so definitely check that one out. Excuse me, let me just take a little, little wall break. Next we have Infinite Country by Patricia Engel. So Infinite Country um, deals with a young couple that we meet um, during the, what is it, the Colombian Revolution, yep, Elena and Mauro. Um, and so very quickly their um, Bogota is rife with military um you know military people and just sort of this like fascist country that they don't want to be a part of um so they very quickly flee to america and think that they can make this wonderful life for them um but unfortunately maro yes maro gets deported 
um, and has to move back in with Elena's mother. Um, but the two, the two, the couple have had multiple children and their oldest daughter, um, Elena believes would have a better life if she sent her actually to Colombia because they don't have as many resources in America. So long story short, we get to know um, the relationship and the emerging um, bond between Elena and Moro and also how the the years and the distance have kept their love alive, but also kept them apart. And then that's um, contrasted with the perspective of their oldest daughter, who um, we meet at the beginning and we've, we learn that she's in some sort of like reform prison for girls, but we don't really understand why. We just know that she's like, meant to escape from there so that contrasted with like getting to know her and getting to know like her relationship with the family and her different version of like leaving a country and the way that she's walled in versus like they're voluntarily choosing to leave the country but then like how they get exported (laughs) i'm sorry deported back um and it's just so it's sort of you know there's multiple timelines there's multiple family members everyone in the family is really well developed especially as we get to know talia i think that's yeah i believe that's her name talia their oldest daughter who um once we learn more about her story i really liked and identified with her as a character um and just that's you know identified those feelings you know i don't have the experience of having to travel um illegally from a school where i was in prison to finding my father to becoming a fugitive to leaving the country but in just that sort of like where do i belong but like knowing deep in that like where you are isn't where you're supposed to be but like do you have the power yourself or do you have to rely on others? And like, what is a country and what is home? And all of that is explored in, in this wonderful novel. And last but certainly not least, we have Homo Irrealis um, I, by Andre Asimov. So I can't for the life of me really figure out how to pronounce this. Let's see. Is it Irrealis? Irrealis? How do you? Irrealis Moon. Um, but anyways, it's a collection of essays by Andre Asimov, most famously known, um, as the author of Call Me By Your Name, wonderful, wonderful book, wonderful movie, uh, mixed feelings about, you know, the army hammer cannibal situation is obviously terrible. I haven't watched the movie since all that stuff came out. Can you separate the art from the artist? Whole thing. I mean, yes, I'll put it, he's all over and I just, uh a lot of feelings about Call Me By Your Name. But anyways, um, I know that Andre Asimov has written quite a few other things. I actually had the opportunity to hear him speak a year and a half ago, two years ago, I don't know at this point, um, when his sequel Find Me came out, I got to hear him speak in Beverly Hills. And he was, of course, extremely prolific and wonderful and profound. I haven't read any of his other work besides Call Me By Your Name. And no, maybe I read, did I read anything else by him? Maybe I've read like Enigma Variations or Out of Each. Um, basically, I've really read Find Me and Call Me By Your Name. But he's written a few other collections of personal essays. I ha- This is the first one I read. But you can tell, like, so much of his writing style is still there. But it's, like, him as a human. But you can tell, like, how he gets all of his characters and, like, where he gets all this inspiration from. Um, so the title comes from the, the term irrealist mood or irrealist mood, which are the main – they indicate a certain situation or action that is not known to have happened at the moment the speaker is talking. So sort of this, like, you know, when we vis- – he explores the ideas of, like, when we visit a location – are we really vis- are we visiting it the the location we're visiting is already gone because that present moment is already gone we're visiting all the the past locations and all our past selves that have been there and all of the past other people that have been there but also all the future dreams and ideas that we have and what it means to think about like 
what might have been and all these alternative paths, but we'll never know, sort of like the Schrodinger's cat also, like they could have existed whether or not we chose to look at them, but by choosing to look at them, do we change them? Um, He also contemplates the lives of a lot of different men as he's sort of like wandering throughout the country and the world and just musing on different things, but they're all so poetic and beautiful, even though it's written in prose, um, very philosophical while also being very literary. He's by no means like proclaiming that anything is like this new mode of philosophy, or he's not saying he's Proust or Plato or anything, but he's just, he's got some really wonderful ideas. And there was a lot of beautiful sentences and phrases that really just made me be like, wow, now this is a good writer. Okay, well, on that note, um, I will leave you until next week. Until next time, stay reading, everyone. Bye.